0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Vodka O'Clock. It has been a while. I'm sorry about that. I'm your host, Amber Love, and uh, thank you to everybody who's been supporting the show, the website, amberunmask.com, and the brand new site, catdetectivecases.com, which is where you can find the weekly cat stories. So the Patreon backers are the lovely people who have been financially supporting me, which is great. And also thank you to everybody who's been, you know, resharing the the links and buying books and doing whatever else you can. Just even a little DM to me. It's great. I, I've really appreciated that during the, the trouble times. So, um things uh things have not started swimmingly you know ending 2022 and into 23 so it's been a it's been a rough patch and I appreciate all that love from you guys so to support the patreon you go to patreon.com slash amber unmasked now to get to business at hand finally an interview and today joining me is this lovely creator that I met could not believe Um That I ran into some people that I know uh, at a show in New Jersey that I haven't seen in a long time, and I got to meet Emily S. Witten, who is one of the creators of books called The Underfoot. We're going to talk about that and um, just other creative things because she has a really interesting path in the geek world. So, Emily, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, it was just so much fun when we finally got to talk at your vendor table because you write about, uh, hamsters and critters that that have their own adventures. And I was like, oh my God, we write such similar things. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what my, uh, cat stories are about, um, you know, we have a chipmunk mafia, we've got a squirrel Supreme Court, we've, <laughs> you know, we've got some, you know, uh, Jersey devil uh, interactions and and things like that. So I could not wait to hear such an, well, and read such an original premise about hamsters because I never had one. I had guinea pigs, I will say. So but cute. I'm I'm a cat person. I've always had cats. So I just literally other than watching Mr. Hamster on YouTube, which is (laughs) yeah, um, I I don't really have any any knowledge of the hamster world. Um, So tell me about your hamster love. Was this from when you were a kid? Oh
1: my gosh! Yes, and also, of course, there's there's a cat, at least one cat. Well, there's a few cats in the underfoot, but one that you see right. more. So, you know, I am actually allergic to cats, which makes me very sad because I really do oh. love them, um, but I cannot be around them. <laughs> so, wow. I, I when I was little, I was not allergic to them, so I was able to be around them. Um, we didn't have any, but like my my family did, and so I loved visiting the family who had cats, and I was also in awe of them because. Um, Like I didn't know what, like how to deal with them because I was just a little kid. So one time I was visiting my family and I was sleeping like on the floor because there were a bunch of us and I got up to use the restroom and I came back and the cat was sleeping in the warm spot and I was, I was scared to move it because I didn't want to wake it up. So I like sat up half the night waiting for this cat to wake up so I could lie back down, (laughs) 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 which is a really silly thing, but I was like six or seven years old. So I I didn't know, but, um, but hamsters are great. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, you don't want to move your cat, right? You like the cat, right. the cat is, is king or queen. The cat yeah. it has the spot now. It's just it's theirs. They're just, they just live there now. Yes. Um, but I have had rodents as pets since I was a small child. And uh, the reason being that uh, we weren't allowed to have cats or dogs because like, my parents just didn't want them to like mess up the house, basically. Um, they had had my, my parents had had like cats and dogs at various times, but they just didn't want them to be like, and we were young, so it would have been like chaotic, and they would have had to take care of them, I'm sure. But um, because the reasoning I got was, well, we don't want them loose in the house, I determined that the best thing to do was get a caged pet. And so in second grade, uh, I found at one of the book fairs, like a scholastic book fair or similar, um, a book on why gerbils were great pets for small children. And I read this book. It was like a kid book with pictures. And I read this book and I gave a presentation (laughs) to my parents on why (laughs) I should have gerbils and it worked (laughs) and they let me get gerbils. And so we had, and my sister also, like we, we, we co -co co-parented the gerbils, my sister and I. Um, And so we had this pair of gerbils and we, we loved them and we played with them and We took them to places they weren't supposed to be, like, that were off-limits, and we played with them there anyway, and that led to some various adventures, like, they got lost in the bathroom wall once and stuff like that. Well, one of them did, Um, and one time we scared my mom by accident with them by trying to, like, hide them when she was coming, and then she, like, discovered them and was like, oh my gosh. Um, She wasn't scared of them, it was just startling. Um, so I had a pair of gerbils with my sister, and then they lived for quite a long time. And then we got another pair and they lived for a good time. And then uh, by that point, I was like in high school. So I don't, we had, you know, a little break. And then I went to college. And (laughs) I went to the pet store with my friend because she wanted to look at the puppies. And I saw all the mice that they were going to feed to the snake. (laughs) Uh-huh. And I felt really sad and I couldn't rescue all like 100 mice. But there was this little tiny gold mouse and I rescued that one and a friend for it. And so then I had mice <laughs> and oh. uh, they, they were tiny. And so they told me the wrong sex. They told me they were girl mice, which are less smelly. And they turned out to be boy mice, which are more smelly, but fortunately I had like an open window I could just leave them near because I had like a At least here. it
0: wasn't one of each, or you'd have just like Oh my gosh, it. that would have been a
1: problem. I would have had to do something about that, yeah. Um, but they were they were the same. And the great thing about them though was that they I had named them Ani and Tori after Ani DeFranco <laughs> and Tori Amos, <laughs> thinking they were girls. And then they turned out to be boys, and I was like, Well, those are unisex names, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah. So they were Ani and Tori, my boy mice, and uh, that actually plays into the underfoot where we have twins named Annie and Tori, and one's right. a girl and one's a boy, and we never tell you which is which. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so that, that was, yeah, so I had mice, um, and they were great, and then after them, I got chinchillas, which are very... Uh, Not for kids kind of pets Generally speaking They're more delicate They have more like uh, needs and everything But they're really sweet And they're so soft Like so soft Um, So I had some really sweet cute chinchillas And then after they sadly passed away I ended up getting a dwarf hamster And I think I just went to the pet store And saw one and thought it was super cute I think that's how I got the first hamster Was just like all these other Like I saw a chinchilla and thought it was super cute (laughs) I was like, this is cute. They and are. I didn't know you needed like a two by three foot cage to take care of it. <laughs> um, so I got a little Chinese dwarf hamster and they look kind of like a little mouse with a dorsal stripe. And, um, and they are the only hamsters that have tails that are like actual tails. They have little, little short tails, like an inch and they're prehensile tails. So these hamsters are very good at climbing. Um, so I had a couple of those and then I ended up getting a different breed and then another Chinese dwarf. And then my current one is a Roborowski, which is the tiniest and most active little bugger you can get, like the little little hyperactive hamster. And that was an accident. I meant to get a winter white, which is a chill hamster. And the pet store mislabeled them. Oh, and I was like, I'm not, I hadn't had a winter white or a Roborowski before. I was like, well, it's really tiny and cute. So I, you know, I, I, I got it and then realized afterwards when a friend who has Roborowski, she was like, I think that snout looks like this kind of hamster. And I looked and I was like, oh, I didn't know they came in pure white. So it is a pure white little Roborowski named Lumi, And she is uh, a princess. <laughs> she's very <Yeah>. finicky. <laughs> she is. She's a princess. Um, but I love I love hamsters and they're really interesting. And they're really companionable. And all my rodents have been. Um And hamsters are super easy. I don't want to, well, I don't want to overstate that. If you're like, if you have young kids, you know, you still have to like, you have to know how to deal with hamsters just like any other pet. But once you get to know how to like handle them and tame them and all of that, then they can be really good little chill pets um, or entertaining or both depending on the temperament. Like Lumi is not always chill. <laughs> But she can be. Um, And a lot of my, all all my other ones were very chill after a while. Like they'd get used to you. Um, She is, sometimes she will like turn into a little hamster puddle, which is like what I call it when they relax. And most of the time she just wants to run around and and eat all the seeds. So, (laughs) but yeah, that's how I got into hamsters. Um, All the rodents and they're just super cute. And you can keep them in a smaller home uh, not too small, but like you know, I don't have a huge home, so I'm like it, it's city living. Uh, you got to have something you can care for, and I'm out of the home eight and a half hours a day on weekdays, uh, pre-COVID anyway. And I travel for the comics,
0: so <laughs> right. So I was going to ask how how they do, um, or or if there's anything that you you need to you know hire a, a hamster sitter for conventions
1: yeah well if you you can leave them for somewhere around, I feel comfortable leaving them for about three-ish days or so without anybody looking in on them because they don't overeat and they you, you, I mean I give Lumi like a full water bottle and after like a week there would barely be anything gone. She drinks like tiny amounts of water and eats doesn't overeat her food and they hoard. They're hoarders. So um, in fact, we wanted to at one point we were thinking about calling the underfoot the hoard. Because uh, it is what you call a group of hamsters, and yeah. it is what they do with food um, but uh, but our publisher, which is currently Oni press used to be Lion Forge um, comics before they merged and they uh, they thought it sounded a little too aggressive for a middle grade <laughs> series <laughs> and also we all had concerns about world of Warcraft and confusion so exactly. um, but they so they hoard their food so, If I'm going for a little amount of time, I can leave her. And if I'm going longer, but I have like, you know, I have a a friend or someone who can look in, I'll have them just look in on her. Um, But also I had a hamster who lived for four years, a dwarf hamster. And that is really old for dwarf hamsters. And by the time that she, uh, we had to let her go, she had like three medications. So uh, you can actually board them at an animal hospital And so I would board Lily, my previous hamster, um, towards the end of things. And so through that, I I really hadn't boarded a hamster. I'd had friends watch them and stuff. But um, through that, I found a good place. And so I boarded Lumi a couple of times for, like, San Diego Comic-Con and stuff, you know, longer trips. (laughs) So, yeah, but they're pretty easy. You know, I usually ask them. I'm like, just put her in the ball once a day, let her run around, to make sure she has food and water. And then one time, I I had to board her for two weeks, so they changed out the bedding for me and like cleaned the cage. You know,
0: um, but they're they're okay. they're great pets and they're pretty I easy. Mean- I totally can see how, um, obviously, because um, the rodents that I <laughs> that that I get to write about—not that they're all outside—they should be, um, <laughs> yeah—but <laughs> they are very inspiring, and um, so they, you, you know, plus their their interaction with each other and with you know with the birds and and everything can be really—it's just interesting to watch, and and I understand now where other, you know, legendary creators got their inspiration from nature. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, like if you watch very old Disney and stuff and you think about how they could just, you know, a creator could just like sit in the woods. I even think was thinking about Woody Woodpecker. I'm like, oh, yeah, started by the time I started hanging out around woodpeckers. I was like holy cow, these things are that nuts.
1: They're Yeah, they're pretty. In, I, I don't live near any, but I've seen them. I've been around them and they're pretty insane. Um,
0: they really are. Yeah,
1: I mean, nature is fascinating and science is fascinating. And I am not a professional scientist or a professional nature scientist, but I find it really interesting. Um, and in fact, um, while I am not a professional, any of those things, I did live in Yellowstone National Park for two months one time. Um, which was really cool and yeah so I got to see a lot of wildlife sometimes by accident in circumstances where I kind of wished I wouldn't like when I was on a hike and we ran into a grizzly bear and a herd of bison and um, you know <laughs> elk and stuff elk elk with babies who are elk you don't want to be too close yeah. to and moose with babies during the calving season and stuff like that so uh, but still very cool one time my friend got chased by a moose um, which was not as cool, but it was funny afterwards. <laughs> oh, my God. What is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we worked really close. I worked there. That's how I got to live there. I worked there during college. And we worked um, about three quarters of a mile from the the place where we all lived. And there was a like a boardwalk through a swamp area um, or a bog area, rather, where Moose live. And um, he just happened to be coming home at the wrong time near a moose who was you know I assume being protective of its baby and like we were kind of sitting out on the front porch of the common area and he came like booking it out of the woods through the parking lot going moose <laughs> and it like chased him um, to the edge of the parking lot and stopped <laughs> and I was like you're pretty lucky it's afraid of the parking lot because or like whatever you know it's it's that wise about humans that it stopped there um yeah I really very fast really, really, because yeah. Yeah, moose can run like if it ha- if it had been running full tilt or like I don't know when it started chasing him, but he would have been dead. Um because they can they can kill you. Um they're
0: enormous. They are they're incredible.
1: enormous and they're fast and elk are fast. Like all the animals are way faster than you might think when you see them like hanging out or grazing. Like bison, I think they're like thirty-five miles an hour or something. Like I would say, don't quote me, but we're being recorded. Right. But you know, like they're super fast. Um but nature is really interesting. I we haven't gotten to write about a lot of Western United States nature in the Underfoot because it takes place in the D.C. area at this time. But um, I love the West and all of its many strange natural creatures and and uh, features.
0: So that's what's it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm East Coast also. I'm here in Jersey, and yeah, you know, like the, my the home IP. state, Jersey is my yeah. home state. That's where I grew awesome. up. So yeah, so like our bears you know we think of them as big and then you see um you know like an actual big like you said a grizzly like they're just oh yeah different level and I've never been to the west to, to see those or I really want to see a moose not chasing me though but oh my I really gosh yeah do. moose
1: are really cool we used to go to Maine when I was a kid and we would go on the moose trail early early in the morning like my dad would wake us up at I don't know it was probably 6 a.m and we were like no but then we'd get out there on the trail and have a really good time and we would see moose and we saw yeah. we saw moose and I, I I think we saw baby moose like little Aww. you know mooselings. calves they're called calves. <laughs> <laughs> but I, know. I just want to call them mooslings, because that's Moose Moosling cute. is better. Um, right? <laughs> but yeah, so we, I mean, I got to see some moose when I was a little kid. Um, and then I, I saw a couple when I was in Yellowstone. Um, and I definitely have seen elk. And and we had visited a lot of the national parks out west. That was, my parents like those areas. So we had gone on, like, family vacations. Um, that's what inspired me to, like, go work there, because I had been to all these national parks. And I loved out, out in the West. Like I love that landscape, Um, but moose are really cool. You don't want to see one chasing you. And grizzly bears are huge and scary. And the the two things we learned that as we started working there, the very first two things they tell you during orientation are bear safety and that you're living on the largest natural volcano in the United States, Um, (laughs) which is called the Yellowstone caldera. And it shows up in the underfoot um, as one of the potential ways that the the world as we know it may have ended.
0: <laughs> right. So that's a perfect segue into into what the stories are. So I want to, um, of course, credit all of your, you know, the the collaborative team that. Brought this together. I mean, first yes. of all, you and Ben Fisher co-writing sounds really fun, and <laughs> like, I, um, I don't know how that happened. Other than you, you do give a wonderful, um, you give a lot of great back matter that explains some, <laughs> of, some things. Yeah, and um, so if you if you are curious about um, just how a conversation goes between Ben and Emily, then Uh, there are examples in the, the back of the book. And, um, and I have the two first two volumes. Um, Excellent. (laughs) Your, your art by Michelle Nguyen. Is that? Yes. It's uh, Michelle Wen is is
1: the proper pronunciation of her name. uh, Yeah. And it is, it is something that I had to learn as well. So.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I've butchered that. Um, Oh, no, you're fine. okay (laughs) letters by Tom Zoller which is how I met you through Tom yes and um and then uh you also have if you could explain Adrian's role is it yeah
1: sure so Adrian is Michelle's uh husband and he he did uh flatting for the book so so Ben and I co-created the series and co-write the book and Michelle Wen is our artist and artists um as you know but as all of our listeners may or may not know in the comics world you know it can be split up so you can have like a penciler an inker a colorist and in between those two you can have a flatter which is is part of the coloring process michelle does everything and so she can do the flatting as well but flatting is a long process and from my understanding some artists find it tedious and so adrian um kicked in and, you know, did, did that work uh, for, for, you know, with her art. So Michelle does the drawings and she does the final colors, which is like the, the details and the shadows and all the, you know, the lighting, the nuance. Um, but Adrian comes in and does what they would call the flat colors. And I am not an expert on this cause I'm not an artist, but you basically fill in the basic colors that go with each of the parts of the, of the piece um, and then Michelle will do the, 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 like I said, the nuance or the shading. Um, that's my very simple understanding of how it works. Mm-hmm. It might be more complicated than that, but that is Adrian's role. Um that's, and then we yeah that's yeah, how I
0: understood it too so. yeah
1: yeah so um and then uh, and then also uh, well you might you might be about to mention our our maps artists I don't know if you yes, <laughs> had that on the list. I was,
0: yes I didn't I didn't know who, um who was responsible for that but it's incredible because I I have notes here you know includes maps organization charts these reports from like the government and stuff oh my gosh yeah because I'm a nerd man. I mean Ben's a nerd too we're both
1: nerds um yeah so the maps in the Oh, sorry. Go
0: ahead. Well, I'm just saying. So that might fall outside the realm of whatever Michelle did, as far as the sequentials. So, yes, you know. Plus, you have like the the bios and the files or whatever on each of the the hamsters and the teams, which. Mm-hmm. Um, was very helpful because there are a lot of critters. <laughs> yeah. But she yeah. also draws them so well that you can tell one from the other. Like if I were looking at a cage of hamsters in the pet store, I don't know that I could tell one from the other. other oh, than, absolutely. You know, yeah. You know, color. But Michelle does such an amazing job. And, um, you know, so I didn't know if she was responsible for all of that non-sequential arch stuff too
1: yeah so the breakdown is the front maps there's two maps for each book there's a world map and a borough map and so the first book um eric orchard who is a creator and illustrator in his own right like an award-winning canadian illustrator who i met through ben um who had worked with him before had known him before um he did the maps for the world and the borough in the first book and then in the second book we adapted his uh, world map, Michelle actually, to to add some of the information you discovered in book one to the book two. And then Tom Zoller, who of course also is a, other, as well as being the great letterer of the underfoot, he is an artist, writer, creator, does all the things in his own right. Um, and he did the map for the second book because Eric wasn't available at the time he was doing other work. Um, so actually I, I am the designer of the, um, the maps to a great extent. Well, no, Ben and I, ben and I designed the, the names and everything for the world map together. And that the world map is obviously based in DC. But I am the designer of the borough maps. Um, so I, I designed the maps and then Eric and Tom executed the maps for the boroughs. And then Michelle does the interstitials, um, except that uh, the org chart was done by Tom. So, um, and, the, and the org chart was, uh, that one's all me, um, but the interstitials are usually Ben and me creating together. So the science and, and history pages and the, um, the uh, character pages, we, we do them together. I probably have a slightly heavier hand in some of that because uh, uh, some of it is, you know, DC-based and or weird science, but uh, Ben's also, you know, put in parts of that as well. So that everything comes from both of us, but the org chart is definitely me as are the borough maps in terms of design execution was done by uh, Tom and Michelle. So, yeah, but, uh, but I mean, I I work for the government in my other job uh, as, as people may or may not know. And so org charts and government organizations are a thing I have had to learn in my time here in DC. So I, it's, it's pretty funny, actually, because um, the first book came out in 2019. And the second one came out in 2021. And so the script was finished pre COVID, or was being finished right at the I believe, like, right? Yeah, it was like right around the I forget exactly, but the script was already, you know, either finished or well on its way. Um, the interstitials were still being finalized because that, you know, c- came along and it, it comes along at a slightly different pace. Um, like I we know what's going in, but like, you know we might not have written it all out to be explanatory in the way that we do. And so we had an extra page because the book map, uh, the way that we had laid it out, we had one page. And so our editor, uh, whose name is grace, um, and uh, she changed names because uh, she got married. But um, she's she's amazing, and she said that we have this you know this this one page left. What do we want to do with it? And I said I have an idea, and um, <laughs> so we I made the org chart, and so because it was like d- during COVID at that point, I put in government agencies within our fictional Department of Preparedness, which had existed pre. Second book, the Department of Preparedness was from the beginning. I was like, "There's, I'm making up an entire cabinet-level government agency, and it's going to be like, you know, preparing for world disasters and 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 national disasters and whatever." And then I put in all the agencies that I would have liked to have seen centralized um, at that time. So there's like an office of mental health and wellness and there's an office of like testing, like countrywide testing and everything. And so the top half of the org chart is very standard government agency. And the bottom half is all the smaller sub agencies that I would have liked to see in a government cabinet level agency at the time we hit COVID. Um, And within that, there is a small, small subset that's the hamsters and the scales And so they, they're, you know, they're a part of all of this. And and the concept from the beginning was that um, the government had been testing on animals and because they knew bad things were coming, you know, they knew that there, there could be disasters and that's why the Department of Preparedness came to be. And they were testing on animals and gathering information from animals. And then uh, they tested on these hamsters and then the bad things happened, but they hadn't tested on humans yet. So the hamsters uh, have fared better (laughs) than the humans and the other animals, some other animals. So um, that's why if if you're if you're into book two, uh, it's Hamster Adaptation Methods, Scientific Testing for Environmental Research, which spells hamster as an acronym (laughs) because I'm a big old nerd. And uh, there's a lot lot of great
0: acronyms.
1: I appreciate that. That comes from my dad, actually, to a certain extent, um, before before the government, because he worked at AT AT&T for many years, and he had a division that he was the head of, and he would come up with great acronyms, um, so that he could put them on like windbreakers with a cool logo that the whole team could have, (laughs) stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So one of them was called Maui like like Hawaii, you know, and it, it was like a person sitting under a palm tree with a laptop. Uh, so <laughs> thanks, Dad. And then I went into the government where everything is acronym. So a hamster existed from the first book, and then um, scales came into being in the second book, which is the scientifically collected adaptation library for extant species. Um, and that's the other branch of the of the little sub-agency that's doing the experimentation, which is Genetic Engineering Modifications for Survival, otherwise known as GEMS. So our hamsters and our scales are the GEMS of the Department of Preparedness.
0: And that's how nerdy and deep I get
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> when it comes to this stuff.
0: It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I can only imagine that the, the notes that you have on the side, like the things that don't get into a script. I, oh, know, my goodness. Have, yeah. You, you, <laughs> know, you got a great file folder. And I'm imagining you're much more organized than I am. Um, You know, I mean, I actually, I, Ben and I
1: developed the series for seven years before we pitched it. And so I really want to go back to some of our, I have, we have all the notes because we did it through WhatsApp at the beginning through chat. Um, I mean, we talk on the phone as well, but we had a lot of back and forth whenever we had an idea, we'd just kind of chat at each other. And um, I really want to go back and read through those because there's so many ideas that changed or did not make it in. Or have not yet been explained, and I, I want to see want to see if any of those are things that we should be throwing in there
0: now. I haven't had a chance to do it because you know everything just keeps clicking along. <laughs> it's yeah, and you know, and how how relative you you want to make it to what's happening in the real world, and um, yes, it's you know, I obviously that that comes through, and it's just something in the in the. The zeitgeist i mean we're all writing mm-hmm. about things that we're going through in different ways i just you know finished i don't know if you read chuck wendig i i read um ah, mm-hmm. i read wayward which is the sequel to wanderers and okay i haven't read it but i'm familiar so yeah so again it's about you know this big global um pandemic phenomenon and um it, it you know, and that's just one of them because then I also read Chris Holmes' Child Zero. And mm-hmm. um, and then in the comics world, I, so I went through the two volumes of The Underfoot and then a, a new book coming out or just came out, Scurry by Max Smith.
1: And oh, I've heard of that one. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard good things. Um, so I'll it, have to check it out.
0: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's phenomenal that even when we have some sort of similar concept of. Uh, you know, like where are the humans? What's what's happened to the humans or what happened to their population? Or are they only mm-hmm. located in one city? Like, you know, the walking dead did its thing. Um, yeah. you know, the- I love, I love the walking dead, even though I
1: hate zombies. Okay. <laughs> it's so it's great too- for character development, having a situation like that. And I love the characters. And of course, you know, Daryl's my favorite. Cause I'm, I'm a follower. No, I'm kidding. Because he is, because he's <laughs> the coolest character in the, freaking series, but, um, (laughs) and, and he, you know, he does make it to the, well, anyway, so
0: (laughs) spoiler alert, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. We have these, you know, every, and everything, and this, this goes back to, you know, a lot of B movies took on this uh, idea as well. Um, but the, you know, how different and unique they could be like, you know, your interaction between the animals, Um, is different. Like the, the cats are, you know, like very terrifying and scary. And, um, yet in, I think, unless I'm confusing the two now, um, I might be confusing them. Well, um, the the cats, the cats may, may or may not friendly. be terrifying and
1: scary. Yeah, so right. so it, cats, it starts out one way and and maybe goes another way. <laughs> not, to, right. not to go too much because into it, but
0: yeah, the cat, yeah. The, so the cats get out of their cages. The dogs um, are out in the wild, and they've been affected a different way. Um, yeah. Well, we don't have, uh, not to, sorry, we don't have dogs, but we have wolves. We have a wolves. Wolf. Okay. In the, that's yeah.
1: Nice, that's we have nice. actually, and this is another one of those weird science things. We have what are called coy wolves or, co- co- I don't know how you even pronounce it, but they're coyote wolves and they exist in real life. Um, okay. So they're a crossbreed that is out there in, in the world. And we put a little bit in our second science, uh, second book about the science of koi wolves. Um, okay. So that's what's that's what's chasing them out in the out in the underfoot too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: is that is a coyote? Really, yeah, so that's like really scary and yeah. um it's you know so to think um, the cats could be you know when they gained this intelligence um, the cats could be like okay, we're not going to bother you, you don't bother us or whatever. Um, and then as you said the scales, we've got the mm-hmm. reptiles and iguanas and like sneaky things um yeah (laughs) and how you know they've (laughs) like I I mean trying not to get too spoilery but I I know it's um, hard when you when you have two whole books to (laughs) to yeah (laughs) and
1: there's um, they have so they a were... different perspective on what happened to them, for sure. They, and they have a they have a different worldview than the fur, the hamsters, and some of their fur mm-hmm. brethren right. and sistren. So, uh, so, yeah, there's a definite conflict going on there. And that, that yeah. part is on the back of the book, so we can say the hamsters and the scales do not get along, and the scales right. uh, may or may not be justified in some of their readings of what happened. Um, you know, one of the things... Like, you know, they say, oh, don't read your reviews. But of course, everyone's going to look when their book comes out and be like, do people yes. have, has anyone actually read it? And I read one review uh, with Underfoot One early on where they were like, I really liked it, but they really should have gone into more like the, the ethics of animal testing and this. And I was like, well, we're only in book one of three. Um, so by book two, you you do get, an, and we're not making necessarily specific commentary, uh, but we're letting our characters share how they were treated by the humans, right. and by book two, we've dumped in some science about uh, real tests that were done on lizards that irradiated them, um, which is in fact connected to what happened to some of our scales' friends, uh, including hashtag our main villain. So, um, so the the scales have a different view of what happened to them, and it, it does feed into everything. Is so connected in my head um, and hopefully it comes out in the books you know the one and, and Ben's head as well obviously like when I say my head we're, we're, we're writing together on all of this yeah um, the
0: hive mind
1: <laughs> yeah but when when we when you look at that org chart there's a reason that we named the scales it's an adaptation library so it's scientifically collected traits so the hamsters are getting the benefit of the experimentation but where is it coming from well. It's possibly coming from other animals and experimentation done on them that is not so positive. And so we, we put it in there, but it's not the, like, I, Ben and I both hate preachy books. And especially if you're writing for a young audience, they'll pick that up right away, like preaching at you, like, here's this vocabulary word, it means this. So we put in challenging concepts and we put in bits of commentary that maybe are just in the background of what's going on. And um, while I do appreciate people's like, well, they should have addressed this, we are addressing it. It's just that we're not telling you how to think about it. And I think that's fair because there could be some benefits to research that's being done with animals. And yet there's an ethical argument to be made for cruelty to animals and the unfairness of that treating, you know, little, little creatures like that or big creatures. And so uh, it's not a black or white idea to me um so i don't want to tell people this is what you should think about it and obviously you know when you write it's not necessarily your voice or your opinion coming out anyway but people are going to assume it a lot of the time
0: (laughs) exactly they're going to they're going to think that that's you know if you write a racist character that makes your you a racist and it's not right unless you yeah depending on how you're yeah depending on how you're portraying it but like i
1: i like to throw it in there and be like what do you think about it i don't know See what you yeah. see, how you feel, you know? Um, so did your editor have
0: to, have to coach um, in that line and say, you know, well, this age group, you know, might need more information or might need less information. Um,
1: so we developed the story with no set age group. And then when okay. we pitched it, they recommended the middle grade and they did not tell us to do anything or stop us from doing anything except uh, language and violence, where we didn't write in any extreme language, which we didn't want to anyway. We weren't interested in that, and uh, we had a discussion early on about one of the violent scenes that happens in book one, where they're fighting a non-intelligent animal that's hunting them, and uh, and that we just we just kind of had a chat about the level of like blood and violence that we could see, and uh, that's about it. You know, the books get dark in certain places. There is character death, not to spoil anybody specific, but there's character death. There's more than one character death. Um, some of it is played for, you know, heroism. Some of it is played for tragedy. Some of it is played for sadness, you know, like d- depending on what's going on. And there's violence and there's scary stuff and there's darkness in the, you know, the scales and what they're doing and all kinds of stuff. And and in fact, book three Uh, which, and, and to go back, uh, the COVID stuff and the, the way the world is, is heavily on our minds as we're developing the next story, uh, which did not, you know, none of that existed when we wrote book one, but we were looking at post world, you know, our, our world scenarios is post-apocalyptic. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's out there, uh, but now it's a different kind of out there. And so how does that affect what we were originally doing? Does it affect it or not? Um, so we're thinking about all of that, but there's darkness in there. There's different scary stuff. And our editors really more focused on, you know, are there plot holes? Are there too many mysteries going on? Obviously also the technical aspects of it, but a lot of these story, you know, building, like, is it clear who all the characters are? Are we, you know, overwhelming the reader? Because it is a, you know, an ensemble cast, as you said, and it is very large. And then we add more characters in book two with the second group of hamsters and, mm-hmm. I know like one of the critiques some people have is there's a lot of characters and I get it, but that's the way the story is. That's the story we wanted, we wanted to tell. So, um, you know, our editors uh, like scientific concepts, we generally have, you know, been cognizant of treading the line of like, these are potentially middle grade readers. Although we have a lot of adult fans as well, you know, at middle grade and up. Um, but, While in the main story, we try to write everything for an audience that could be middle grade and up, in the interstitials, we do not. So there are hard scientific concepts and big words. We write bits of the interstitials in a way that hopefully is explanatory to younger readers, um, including by having some conversations with the now-gone humans and or about them teaching their children. But some of the stuff is emails between government officials or government employees and it's scientific stuff and it's not dumbed down at all. And the, the idea is you don't need that to appreciate the story, but it adds. So that's kind of how we did it.
0: So you couldn't, I mean, it could be decorative or, you know, if you take the time and read through it, then it gives you some explanation. Right. I mean, we, we call the mushrooms, the glowing mushrooms in book one by their like
1: scientific name, which is Pinellas stipticus. I think is how you pronounce it. And you know, we go from there. We've got, we've got energy concepts about solar cell development. We've got ham radio and how radio waves work. You know, we've got uh, all kinds of like concepts that are, that are really not things that kids would necessarily understand And, I mean, there's also references to, like, songs they've probably never heard. So there's, like, in book two, there's a reference to... Yeah, there's a reference to Golden Brown Brown by the Stranglers. I don't know who... And and to um, to, to numbers codes and, like, different stuff that... Kids are not going to know anything about that. But maybe this will interest them and they'll learn about it. And that's kind of part of the point is, like, some of the mystery is what is this thing? And, you know, kids have the internet now, so they can find some of this much, much more easily than we might've when we were kids. But even if it's just a background concept until they're older, they'll maybe remember it and be like, Oh yeah. in that book, this was mentioned. And now I'm 18 and I'm hearing about it somewhere else. And now I, you know, I I know a little bit about how it could be used or whatever the case may be. Um,
0: well, so there, I, there are plenty. There are plenty of Easter eggs for the older. Generation. Oh, so many! <laughs> um, in fact, we'll talk about um, uh, the a couple of the hamster teams here because. Oh yeah. We have the the main group that we first meet is the hamster aquatic mercenaries. Now, I, yeah. I'm not knowing anything about hamsters. Do they actually swim? So you're not really supposed to like throw your hamsters in the water. Um, oh, unlike okay. so.
1: So chinchillas, you're not supposed to get wet at all because their fur is so dense. It's hypoallergenic and it's so dense that they can get like fur rot. And so uh, chinchillas, like you you should not get them wet. And if you get them wet, you have to blow dry them, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is a fun fact that I learned after my chinchilla sadly got injured uh, through no fault of anybody's and um, had to had to be like washed and stuff. Um Hamsters are a little more hardy in that respect. They don't have that thick fur, so that's not going to be a danger to them. But uh, they and and they and they live in slightly different climates, you know, coming from the the wild. But they're not actually water creatures. Generally, Uh, my hamsters will take and my chinchillas did do uh, did to pumice or sand baths. So it's like it's like very fine sand made of like pumice and it cleans the oils out of their fur and um chinchillas are really fun they'll flip around it's like you get them something that looks like a birdhouse with a curved bottom and you put sand in it and they'll just like flip around in there i mean you can do other stuff too but that's like easy and um this hamster that i have now lumi she like i said she's a princess so if i put her in her sand bath thing she will just kind of walk around it and maybe dig a little but uh if i take the sand and rub it into her fur she loves it so yeah. she makes me do the work, but um, <laughs> but usually if if a if a hamster is going to have a bath, it's a sand bath, and it takes the oils out of their fur. So there's definitely fictional elements, and one of the main fictional elements is the science fictional elements is that the experimentations that were done on these creatures gave them special abilities in different directions. Right. So as we get into book two, and of course even in book one you do get information about what specialties there are in the makeup of the hamsters. But by book two, it's made more explicit that the ham can hold their breath longer and have a denser skeleton and have uh, water-resistant fur in a different way than the later group that you meet, the hap, who have lighter bones uh, and are more like like akin to what birds would have. And live in trees as opposed to living on the ground like most hamsters, or in the ground like most hamsters would. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of license being taken. There's a lot of hand waving going on, but the concept being that the humans were developing these different traits, seeing how they could adapt themselves by seeing how they could adapt animals, and the animals adapted. They got they got different genetic traits out of this. Um, right. Who knows so, if anyone could actually do this, but <laughs> they have I, made. I think they've made ma- mice glow, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was going to say, they've, so, they've made
0: several animals glow. Oh,
1: so, I mean, we're doing this stuff. And I knew about the glowing mice before, like, Underfoot One came out. So we know it's possible to do stuff like this, even if we haven't done this stuff.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, yeah, very, like, Hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah, the- yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... And luckily, you know, as I said, you do have these wonderful like cheat sheets um in in between the, the stories and stuff. So or in between the chapters that give you their traits and their special skills. And Ruby, mm-hmm. the, the little one. Oh, baby. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Precious. I, yeah. I love I, I love that that team up. Um Oh
1: Ruby and Mac, it's, Ruby I and I, Mac I, I love it so much and and Ruby is a Roborovski. She's the breed of hamster that I currently own. Uh, yeah. She was written before I owned that kind of hamster, but I was aware of you know all the breeds. Um, and I have, like I said, I have a friend who has those, has had those consistently, has had pairs of them. Uh, you know, over time they don't live for that long, unfortunately. So, um, so Ruby is the the tiniest breed of hamster. The littlest hamster is what we called her early on, and and Mac is a unruly teddy bear hamster tomboy right. kind of kind of gal, which is um, with this
0: big curly like <laughs> wild hair and yeah. Oh my gosh! Google in. teddy bear
1: hamsters if you haven't seen them; they are wild, um, and and they are. Oh, can I can I tell a fun teddy bear hamster story? Sure. Uh, so. <laughs> So um, I have been fortunate enough to get to know some amazing authors over time through some of my other work um, running conventions and organizing conventions and uh, also being a journalist uh, prior to this work. I I wrote for Comic Mix and I did that for about like seven years. So I was I was reporting on things and doing all the stuff at the conventions. Um, But through my work organizing the Discworld conventions for Sir Terry Pratchett, uh, one of my favorite authors of all time. I met, uh, shortly after I started working on that, I met Neil Gaiman. And so I've known Neil for a while now. And I found this hamster during my research of just looking at hamster pictures. That is a teddy bear hamster. I still have the picture somewhere because I saved it into my research, but it was a teddy bear hamster that was mostly black hair, but with gray (laughs) and white running through it, like, like gray and white strands and a teddy bear, which means its fur was just all over the place. And so I messaged Neil and I said, a I'm going to like name you. a hamster. A- well, I said, I'm going to name a hamster after you. Is that okay? And he was like, yeah. And I sent the picture and he was like, perfect. <laughs> and so in in the end of book one, and the beginning of book two, et cetera, you meet Neil, the hamster yes. and Terry, the hamster. And they are in fact, both named after <laughs> Neil came in as yes. Terry Pratchett and Neil has crazy fur and is a teddy bear hamster. And Terry has a little white under its under her chin, which is like the Terry Pratchett white beard, and he always wore a black hat. And so Terry is black black hamster with white uh, beard and belly and um and and the, the, the fur on top has kind of a little like it's like almost like a little curl to it. Um and we did we didn't give her a hat, uh, because Buddy has a hat and they're both sharpshooters and they can't both have hats. That's ridiculous. Um <laughs> but yeah so so the the neil hamster was neil approved and was inspired by a picture of a teddy bear hamster because they are wild they have this crazy hair and if you own one you have to comb them you have to groom them if they if they are left to their own devices as pets in the wild they deal with themselves obviously but as pets if they're left to their own devices um they they will get like knots in their fur and in fact I'm not an expert on how they were developed, but it's possible that they don't exist in the wild. I don't know. But I would not be surprised to to know that these are domesticated only, and that's why... Their fur probably. needs care from humans.
0: Um, I mean, I, I'm not, i, mean, what we've I done to, to cats and to dogs. And
1: dogs. And- yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I know a lot about hamsters. I don't know absolutely every single thing about them, but my guess would be that probably in the wild hamsters, uh, you know, their fur isn't quite that insane, but oh, it's, it's such a joy to look at pictures of teddy bear hamsters because their fur is insane. <laughs> I love it. It's just so yeah. funny. But it yeah, is. so Mac has crazy hair, crazy fur. Ma-
0: yeah, and she's a sweetheart and, um, you know, it, it, well, but about Ruby, like Ruby's talents are very different from the rest of the group. We were talking mm-hmm. about science and and there's a lot of engineering and it might yes. you know, thinking about how kids might think. I don't know, but I, I've been watching Abba Elementary and they do the egg drop. And it's oh, like yeah. the eighth graders versus the second graders and the mm-hmm. second graders have no clue. They just want to see an egg fall from the ceiling, you know, like,
1: yeah, like, and that, that actually know. the it egg did. drop type of experiments were very on our minds when we did the, the toothpick experiment or the toothpick test, basically. Yeah, um, That is definitely the kind of thing that, you know, we did in school and remember <laughs> being a part of our learning. So yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: We did. We did a different egg one where it, um, you had to create a container that you could step on and it wouldn't crush. So that
1: you could step on. Oh, I think yeah. ours. Ours were the container that you could drop, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, um, but I, mean, I, I think I, it is a I, common thing in schools, or at least it has been.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was. It was interesting to see. Um, and even Bob's Burgers, which I'm, you know, I can relate everything to Bob's Burgers. Um, <laughs> the, it, the Louise gets this puzzle mm-hmm. and she figures out how to, how to solve it. And then in real life, they have a situation where Linda's arm gets stuck and they have to figure out how to get Linda's arm out. And Louise is like, Oh, it's like my puzzle. And, oh. <laughs> uh, you know.
1: I haven't seen that, but that, yeah, it's exactly that kind of thing. It's like, not everybody has the same skills, you know? Yes. Um, But we we did have a lot of fun, and and this is, again, we go really into the details. So Ben and I had a lot of fun developing Ruby's character card, um, which has everything crossed out. She's not good at anything at the the beginning of the, you know, you see her character card after chapter one of book one, so you don't know her that well.
0: Yeah, like, oh, she's yeah. not, not going to have, like, aquatic graduation. Swimming's not her thing.
1: and Yeah, she's not going to make it into the elite hap of the or, – or the elite ham, sorry, the elite ham. She's going to be – like, she's going to end up working in the burrow somewhere, and we don't even know where. She can't do maintenance. She can't do inventory. She can't do, like, any of the things. Now we've put her into ham to see if she can train in ham, and that's not going well either. She needs swimmies. She's not a good swimmer. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's a real weirdo. and yeah. And, and and knows it, but she's still very persistently herself. Um, but we had so much we had so much fun describing her traits by comments from her teachers, you know, like or, or her, you know, her her. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, they're basically her teachers, the trainers. Um, and like every everything they tried to assign her to do, she's bad at some part of it. Like she's weirdly bad at it. It's not like just bad at it. It's like she's like got something else going on in the way her brain works and you know there are geniuses out there and they got weird brains and sometimes they make the world go round. and so you know Ruby's a little engineering genius but early on she's like a sad little hamster who (laughs) doesn't swim well and can't do anything and gets lost in the woods and she's just not very good at certain stuff (laughs) and that was really fun to write
0: (laughs) and that's why you know and then so so Mac is assigned as as her protector and and Mac, yeah, is so serious about that job. Oh my god, she's so loyal. She's loyal and she's
1: steadfast, and she's just. I love, I love those characters together. We love writing them. And poor Mac getting beat on, not physically, but like emotionally, yeah. by her mom, who right. is the the head of the borough. And I mean, you don't know that right away, but eventually it is figured out. And her mom looks like a freaking queen. You know she's all coiffed and like her her like yeah. her fur is perfect and she wears a little cute doll necklace and like she's like she's the head of things, Luciana. And then poor Mac, <laughs> the little the little tomboy who's never gonna get anywhere because her mom won't let her do you know the ham and whatever. And yeah, I, I the din- the dynamic the dynamic sorry of Luciana and Mac and then Mac and Ruby are some of the favorite my favorite things that have come out of our writing. Um, to be honest,
0: yeah and then um, part of part of that character um, construction is their names as you said you've got the the Neil and Terry uh, Easter <laughs> eggs and the Tori and Annie be- because we've got in book one we're really focused on musicians and yeah. they they you know they they see these like records on the wall and, and you know, who knows if they are familiar about what it is, but where they're growing up and where their home is, is surrounded by all these names that they see. Mm -hmm. And 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 there's a little bit
1: more backstory to that. Yeah. They have what, as you're mentioning, they have the naming room and that's how they name their, their little pups, the hamster pups as they go and they see the records and the CDs and all of the ham are named after musicians. Um, some are referential to uh, to New Jersey, actually, because uh, Count Basie, a great musician, uh, there's the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, which is where I saw the first ballet I ever saw, uh, the Nutcracker, when I was a kid. Um, and it has great acoustics, the Count Basie Theater. It's a beautiful theater, old old school, amazing. And um, and Count Basie did a- an album that has uh, an atomic explosion on the front, and so we put that in there specifically because it's another, like, world disaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah, I, I can't remember. I think all of that might have come out of the Ani Tori thing, because I had named, you know, mice after musicians, mm-hmm. and we had that twin idea early on, and I think that might be where the music names came from. But the idea of all the names coordinating somehow came out of either that and or the idea that there are remnants of the human experimentation and how their ancestors were developed um, in the current group. So that is that. And yeah, and, and in fact, um, I don't know if I'm actually going to pull out my book and check to see if this is the case in the map, because I don't know if it made it into the map. Um, yeah, so you can't, it's not in the, it's not in the book to map, but I think it's in one of the, pages where they're practicing or something is going on i can't remember and it's my own book or mine and ben's book you know our, our michelle's etc our book um but uh somewhere in there the jump way um which is where they practice their jumps in in the Hap group where they, it's like the hollowed out tree trunk where they practice their jumps the idea was that the bottom was lined with sci-fi books <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy right um because these hamsters uh, theoretically have scavenged some of the, you know, things from their human world when they first got out back out into the wild from where they were, um, which we don't know a ton about where they were. But we we do. Ben and I know. <laughs> we know a lot There's, about where they were.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the tree, the tree map is pretty cool because you see like the glider shop, the, um, the archive tower, the room of mysteries, the cafeteria. Oh, thank nursery. you. Yeah, Yeah,
1: we have a lot of fun with with, you know, figuring out what everything is going to look like and how they live, you know, Um, and and they're different, the burrows and everything. And I I love the saucery. It's a flying saucer wheel. That's what that's what we I have one for my hamster. And it's like (laughs) the angled wheel that little hamsters run on and sometimes fly off of, which is pretty hilarious. (laughs) They run so fast and they just whoop right off the wheel. Um, Lumi does it too. Um, but yeah, so it was a lot of fun kind of designing both of the burrows because the ham have an underwater part of their burrow and the hap have the tree related things. Um, and and in fact, the, the hat who you see coming in at the end of book two, uh, their burrow is really cool. We have not seen it. And it is one of the weirdest things, in my opinion, that exists in D.C. and they live in it. And... Oh, my gosh. I hope that we uh, get to the point where Michelle gets to draw that. And uh, I I maybe apologize in advance to her for making her draw it because it's going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, you know, you meet the different the different groups and you meet some other hamsters that towards the end of book four. And in fact, they live again somewhere else. And uh, we know where that is. And it's creepy. So we have, we have cool and creepy and weird and all kinds of stuff in our, in our story.
0: It's, it's fantastic. I had such a great time and, and emotional time because you, the character development, this isn't, you know, like it's not vapid. Like you're saying, There's a lot of work put into what the core characters are going through and, uh, you know, and that's not lost. Like, you know. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, like Beck ends up on this whole journey, and yeah. You know, <laughs> then there's, you know, you're like, things get tense, and then they get sad, and uh, you know, so there's there's so much involved. I think it's a, just a breathtaking series, and I can't wait for volume three. Oh, thank um, you. I appreciate that. And you know, we
1: didn't we didn't uh, have that planned for Beck. We had a lot of this stuff planned out, but, but as you as a writer know, you know, things develop sometimes in different ways. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why we have all these notes from the beginning that, that are probably completely different from what turned out to be the books. Um, But Beck was not, uh, he didn't, we didn't have that whole journey planned for him early on. And in fact, Beck was written to be a real pain in the butt, you know, like he's really annoying in the beginning and we don't like him. (laughs) Yeah. He's He's an arrogant little, little hamster. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But. But Beck turned out to have, I mean, I really like the journey we made for him, but we did not have all of that line outlined at the very
0: beginning. Um, so that's kind of fun, too. That's amazing. So with, um, okay, I know Oni and Lionforge are going through some things. Um, question mark. <laughs> question mark. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yes. So um, do you have specific plans for volume three? Like when, so, volume as as three it's coming is coming out, or when? Yeah,
1: or? Um, volume three in is cr- creator, creatorly, creationally, whatever you want to call it, in the works. Um, volume three has a lot of really cool stuff in it. It is kind of a jumble right now that we're working through um, in terms of creating it. Uh, in terms of what's going to happen in when it might come out or how it might come out, etc. we don't know uh but we will and one thing is like you know Oni went through a bunch of restructuring as we know for first between the first and the second book our publishers merged our publisher merged Lineforge merged with Oni so we went through all of that which was a big shakeup in the industry at the time and now between books 2 and book 3 <laughs> Oni has gone through a restructuring and uh it in my view and Ben as well uh we thought you know Why push for something when we're still working on the thing? Um, So we'll, you know, we'll definitely have a conversation once we have a little more to to go forward with. Um, You know, I'll be totally frank. COVID and the pandemic slowed us down some. (laughs) I've had COVID twice. Ben's had it as well. The pandemic is insane. I have a full-time job that had to go full telework, um, during the week I had COVID the first time because I got COVID in March, 2020 the first time. And I was out for out, out of like, I was sick for like three weeks. And, uh, then I, then I woke up one morning feeling great and went for a run and messed up my knee for like six months because I was so out of shape from lying on a couch for six, for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, and I had long COVID where it came back in a cyclical way after the first one. And the second time I got COVID, it lingered. Um, so I had both forms of long COVID or two of the forms of long COVID, one where it comes back around in a less severe, but, you know, cyclical way. And one where it just like lasts for a long time and you're fatigued and stuff. So, um, and Ben got COVID really badly when he got it, he got it later, but he got it really badly. And he, he, I think more intensely than even I had it, um, cause he had like a higher fever and stuff like that from my recollection. So you know, we've all, everybody in the world has gone through stuff with COVID and the pandemic and continues to. And it slowed down our creative process um, for all the reasons that everybody else has been dealing with stuff as well. And, uh, and so, you know, we're working on it. There's active stuff going on, but I don't have uh, exact knowledge yet of like what's going to happen next but i want to see book three come out it's it's tons of stuff we've had in the works that is you know in our plans um like i said we haven't even seen the burrow for the hat yet and we haven't seen the burrow for the hamsters that you meet at the end of um book two there's a different you know there are four groups by this point there's the 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 last group there's only a couple that you see but they're they're not hat they're not they're not that group so um they're yet a, yet another group, and like I said, they live somewhere else, and they have different traits, and you know, so so there's all this stuff going on. I want to see it develop. Ben wants to see it develop, and we're uh, you know hopeful that it, it can come out with Oni like the other two, and we can have a trilogy, and maybe even like a slipcover someday. I can dream, right? I can dream. <laughs> um, I, I would love to have our little trilogy in a little collectible thing because I am old school like that. <laughs> So yeah, I think I think that it's a work on the thing, and then fingers crossed, it'll all work out in the end kind of scenario when it comes to that. Um, and I think that you know Oni's restructuring is settling down some now, which is good because that's coinciding with us having recovered from COVID and being able to work more on the book. So uh, so yeah, maybe it's all coming together. We'll hope so.
0: <laughs> I, I hope so. So where can people? Um keep up to date with that news and with you and
1: uh. yeah so um well oni oni has our books on their website and uh and i also have a website that's just the emily E S S E emilys um dot com so it's the E M I L Y E S S E dot com and that's also where i am on all social media is the emily E S S E and uh ben is also ben and michelle are also on social media tom is on social everybody's on social media um and most of us have our own websites, I think. Um, and, uh, I, I do have an email contact and I think I, I can't remember if I set up a newsletter thing. I need to check because honestly I haven't had time to go back to my website in a while, but if people email me through it, I contact page, I do get those. Um, so, uh, I do, I'm trying to be better about like, Hey, notification system. But you can definitely like keep an eye on Oni's website and my social media will blow up with it if I have any news. And uh, the, the big information right now is that we're sold out of book one. So there are no more new copies to my knowledge in, in the, the I know that Oni Onis sold the last ones to me. Uh, the warehouse is empty. And uh, I'm not sure when it's getting a reprint, uh, if if and when. But hopefully, if you know we get book three rolling along, maybe we'll get a reprint of book one because that would be great. Otherwise,
0: how are we going to read book three? Uh- <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta get the roots here. You gotta get all the all yeah. the ham haps and hats and <laughs> I know you gotta
1: get it all lined up. But um, but yeah, I mean it's it's great that our our run sold out. We're we're happy that so many people bought the book. But now we need you know, more book ones so that people can read the book twos and eventually yeah. the book threes, so. And not,
0: not only sold out, Ringo nominated. Yes, uh, wonderfully. We Both of our
1: books were nominated for Ringo Awards. We did not win, but we were really glad to be nominated and we were a really great company and uh, with some really great winners. And, uh, and our Underfoot One, uh, The Mighty Deep, is currently up for a Black Eyed Susan Book Award from the Maryland Library Association. So that, uh, the nomination came out a while ago, but it takes like a year because this is an award that um, uh, librarians and other members of the library association nominate these books. And then the students have to read a certain number of them before they are able to vote on the winners. So they are given time to read the books. And so like my understanding is that the winners are announced right before the next nominees. <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. so you get like a year. So who knows how that will do. But yeah, our, our first book, the Mighty Deep was nominated for two different awards, and then The Underfoot Into the Sun, which is book two, was nominated for a Ringo. And I'm very glad that people are enjoying our books to that extent and valuing them because um, we put so much into them, as you can tell, and we love them yeah. and we think they are worth reading, <laughs> hopefully.
0: And um, what's your Instagram so that people can see pictures of Lumi and... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, go go for the hamster
1: pictures. Uh, stay for the occasional posts about food I've cooked or places I've gone. <laughs> um, everything is the Emily ESSE. So uh, Instagram, okay. Twitter, which I'm not on quite as much now, but... Um, no, and then... I do have a Facebook public page that's also that, but to be honest, I don't really keep up with that one as much. Um, but yeah, website, Instagram, Twitter, uh, the Emily E S S E everywhere.
0: Okay, yes, because you want to um, absolutely get your dose of cuteness.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and and you know, like your like your post, your animal posts are adorable as well, and like I love animal Instagram is my favorite thing, and the algorithm has yeah. been trained. So like all my suggestions almost are just cute
0: animals. (laughs) Mine too. I'm like, that's, that is my purpose of Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
1: What else is it for? That and humorous statements and little reminders to take care of your mental health.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And even those are done in like comic strip form now. It's like, yeah, yeah. Instagram is the best of the
1: social medias right now, I think. Um, and, And Facebook, if you use it just to keep up with some friends and family as opposed to for all the weird stuff that used to be on it before they maybe moderated it better again or whatever happens.
0: Well, I've joined the, I've joined the hive
1: social. So um. Uh, yes,
0: I, yeah, I, I'm on that
1: and Mastodon same thing, but I haven't used them much.
0: Yeah, so there's there's some slow building there over on on Hive, but it's getting there. Um, okay, that's good. Yeah,
1: I don't know if you're. I'll add you on mine and vice versa. Um, but I I'm the same over there. It's the Emily E S S E S is in Sam, um, and uh, and I'm on Mastodon and I'm on co-host. I think, but I haven't really done anything with that one yet because there's already so much out there. If 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 Twitter goes away entirely, I guess that's you know one of those will emerge. I don't know. Right. I don't think Twitter is going to go away. It's just changing in really annoying just, and unfortunate yeah, ways continually.
0: It, I was going to say, it's just changing for the worse. So Yeah. We'll the, the for you versus following
1: took me a while to figure that one out. I don't know if other people have noticed that it now defaults to suggested for you instead of the people you're actually following. And you have to swipe, oh, uh, I guess, swipe left in order to get to the things you actually want to see without like the algorithm suggesting stuff you might not want. And I have noticed that if you go with the algorithm, there's more stuff that will make me mad than if I just uh-huh. go with the things that my friend I'm like, I curated this for a reason, you guys. I don't want my social media to run my day every day. You know, yeah. I can read the news on like AP Reuters, Bloomberg, you know, like some of the less biased, you know, news sites. <laughs> no, <laughs> just to get nice. the basics. So anyway, but yeah, that's me everywhere, the Emily ESSE.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time and joy. Oh my gosh, thank and, you. Um, uh, you know, I appreciate it. I know it took us a while to figure out scheduling and stuff because we've got different oddball hours that we, we're working around. So I appreciate that. You know, enjoy your. You know, if you drink coffee, I have mine ready. So um, <laughs> I don't drink any caffeine. I have natural. I'm naturally caffeinated, but um, you you
1: are like I mean uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very impressive oh gosh well not when i need like a little break around 3 p.m and i'm like oh my gosh i'm so tired what happens but yeah no coffee's not for me if i drink it i get the jitters so i I don't touch it most of the time unless i'm like driving really late at night and i need it to be alert um but enjoy your morning coffee i'm so glad that you're interested in our little hamster books and i really appreciate uh you taking the time to talk to me about them of course.
0: Thank you so much, Emily. And thank you, uh, everybody listening. Don't forget, you can go to patreon.com slash Amber on Mask to financially back the show. And also my other work, you get the benefit of early access to the cat detective files when they come out each week Um, and sometimes reviews. I'm still reviewing books. I'm just a very slow reader. Uh, other than that, so the main, uh, you know, my main personal blog and review stuff is at amberunmasked.com. And, uh, if you're interested in just my books, I set up a website finally, that's just, um, very basic and plain called elizabethamberwrites.com. But the cats, you can follow Gus and Oliver's adventures at catdetectivecases.com um that way they have there there was just so much content for them that they needed their own domain so <laughs> um so catdetectivecases.com and of course follow on instagram you can you can see our daily adventures and and what we get up to so um all right emily i hope to see you around again um you know with these you know getting back out into public things
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love going to conventions. Uh, I'm not going to quite as many this year in large part because we don't have a book one right now. Um, But I will be at at least some of the cons and I hope to see you there. Okay, take care. You too.